Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. It's no secret that buying a house has gotten impossibly expensive. But a new analysis from The Globe has found that the out-of-control real estate market has actually started making even renting a place out of reach for young people. And the shock was to find out that their household income in every single city I looked at would be short of what they would need. Erica Alini is The Globe's personal finance reporter. And she crunched the numbers to find out which Canadian cities are the most expensive, the most affordable, and why today's housing struggles for young adults are different than before. This is The Decibel. Erica, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So, Erica, you crunched the numbers here uh, to find out how bad the state of housing and rent really is in Canada right now. What what did you find? How bad is the cost of shelter in, in this country at this point? Yeah, so housing, like we used to say buying a house, but at this point with rents as expensive as they are, like keeping a roof over your head is the financial challenge for young Canadians. Mm-hmm. And by young Canadians, honestly, like more and more, we're talking about Canadians in their, even in their mid to late 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, what I wanted to look at uh, in my story is, okay, so you have a good job, you're working full time, can you afford a place of your own, whether you are mm-hmm. renting or whether you are buying a home? And the answer is in a lot of not just big cities, but increasingly mid-sized cities, that answer is probably no. So um, across those cities, I got some estimates of after-tax income and I restricted it. So I wanted to look specifically at people with a a university degree working full time Hmm. Um, because I wanted to show like, okay, so let's say you're in a pretty good position financially. Can you afford to rent your own place? And so I assumed that, you know, some kind of median um, after-tax income in those cities. And then I looked at the average rent for one bedroom. And then I assumed that, um, you know, this people in their sort of mid to late 20s, I was like, okay, let's say that they have an average amount of um, student debt, which in Canada, we have some old statistics. <laughs> We're waiting for the new ones to come out. But mm-hmm. it's been hovering around 30000 for for students who have uh, debt, uh, with the exception of Quebec, which is almost half of that. So I was like, okay, so let's say that you're taking the maximum amount of time to repay those uh, those government loans. So you have a student loan payment of $260 a month. And basically, you keep living like an undergrad. Let's say like you're super frugal, and you keep living like an undergrad. Can you afford the average one-bedroom as it's being advertised right now. And what did you find? So I found that in Vancouver and Toronto, you'd be in the red monthly. Every month, you'd be several hundred dollars short. In Vancouver, it was like almost $400 short. In Toronto, it was like more than $100. This is with a a bachelor's degree and a full-time job. This is with a bachelor's degree and a full-time job. In Halifax, you'd be basically breaking even. I get you have eight bucks left in your pocket at the end of the month. 
And then Victoria starts to look a little bit better. You'd have, you know, like $250 more or less uh, left. Montreal, better still, like, you know, over $600. Same for, for Calgary. Hamilton, almost $700. And in Ottawa, it looks quite good. Uh I want to ask you about Halifax because this is a little a little bit of a surprise to me. Like, how long has Halifax been this expensive for? So, yeah, what happened with with Halifax is really with uh, with the pandemic uh, and sort of this remote and and hybrid work. Um, a lot of people moved uh, from other provinces and and Ontario in particular to Halifax and. They started buying up homes and, and that sort of put pressure on home prices, but it also put pressures on rents. And so and we've seen that throughout uh, Southern Ontario, too, that that move away that like in in, uh, in Ontario was like it was kind of a domino effect of people moving away from Toronto and then some of the local households aren't able to buy homes anymore, and then you have more pressure on rent. So we've been talking primarily about paying rent. Um, And of course, a lot of people like to rent until they can actually afford to buy a house. We asked people to, to chime in on social media about their housing concerns, and we heard from a lot of people about this specific thing. Jessica Patterson said their biggest financial concern was rent each month because, quote, we'll never be able to save enough to buy a house. And, and Leah Kuzma shared a similar concern about not being able to afford rent and actually save for the future. So, Erica, what did you learn about how possible it is for young people today to, to actually save up for a home? So this is one of the um, things I wanted to look at going into the story. And my assumption was exactly the same. How can people save up for a house when they're spending so much on rent? And this was the the single biggest surprise of me reporting the story was to find out that that's not even the issue. Let's say you have a you know uh, someone who has a very um, healthy income, and then they're putting everything aside for a down payment, and they they're lucky they're in a long term relationship with someone else who also can afford to have their own place, and they also save up as much. And uh, you know, and in the span of eight years, uh, so let's say you know they're they're twenty five. So by the time they're thirty three, they have amassed uh, a minimum uh, down payment for an average priced home in whatever city uh, they're living in. Let's talk about down payments then. Uh, Stephen Hepburn wrote to us. He said he's concerned with saving up for a down payment. It seems impossible to do on your own. So Erica. Let's get into the numbers here. How much money do you actually need up front in, in different housing markets across the country? So I tried to come up with an estimate of average home prices in 2030. And that's because I was thinking about, you know, uh, someone who is in their mid-20s uh, right now. And so I tried to come up with um, what was a sort of conservative estimate of what housing prices might be in in 2030. I just assumed that home prices in all of these cities that I looked at would um, grow by one percentage uh, point per year on average above the inflation rate. And so in Vancouver, people would need to come up with almost 290,000 in upfront cash. 
um, to buy an average price home. Mm. In Toronto, it's even more. Uh, it's almost $295,000. And that's because there's a lot of um, high transaction costs and, in Toronto. And how much are, are houses in those cities? Uh, so in Vancouver, um, the average home price would get to $1.3 million and very close to that in, in Toronto. Wow. Okay. And then something interesting happened um, with the math that I did. So I got that in Victoria, the average home price would cross the $1 million threshold, just barely. And in Hamilton, prices would get where remain just below the $1 million, uh, threshold on average. Hmm. And as a result, if I do the math with the sort of um, what would you need in terms of minimum down payment and minimum household income to, to get a mortgage... You get that in Victoria uh, to get, you know, the average uh, home that's now valued at uh, just over a million, you need to come up with almost $230,000 in down payment and you need around $190,000 in household income. In Hamilton, because you're below $1 million, you would get away with a much smaller down payment because in Canada, you need to um, put down at least 20% of the value of the home if it hits a million and above. Oh, okay. uh, but below one million, you can you can put down a, a smaller down payment. But on the other hand, they would need 230,000 in household income. Much smaller down payment, but very high household income. Because obviously your mortgage is gonna be very, very large. Okay. And the shock was to find out that their household income in every single city I looked at would be short of what they would need. Like the minimum income that you need to rent a place on your own and save up for a, a down payment on an average price home is not enough to qualify for a mortgage on that home. We'll be back after this message. So why is it that you need such a high income to get to get a mortgage today? So that has to do with um, higher interest rates. Mm. So with home prices um, as high as they are now, these increases in interest rates that we, we've seen um, this year have really made those mortgage payments that much larger. And so it's you sometimes hear from older homeowners who uh, say, you know, but Back in my day, I was paying double-digit interest rates. Like I had maybe a 12% mortgage rate. And, you know, now interest rates are, you know, for, for fixed-rate mortgage, I think they're around, um, you know, 4 5%, really, more 5 so <laughs> than 4 Um, But with, with home prices so high, a 5% mortgage gets you a very large mortgage payment. Mm. And in order to make those monthly mortgage payments, you need a very high income. There's also the issue of clearing the mortgage stress test. So the stress test is basically looks at your finances and it's meant to ensure that you would be okay with the amount of money that you're borrowing on that home, uh, even if interest rates were quite a bit higher than the interest rate that the bank is offering you. Hmm. What was the most affordable city of all the cities that you looked at? What was the most affordable place to live? So Ottawa, Montreal and Calgary stand out. Hmm. Um, in Ottawa, things look pretty good, not so much because of the, you know, how much 
homes or prices or rent uh, costs, but because of incomes. Incomes are higher in Ottawa? Incomes are higher in Ottawa. So, And that's incomes for 25 to 29-year-olds with a university degree and a full-time job. And when I was chatting about these numbers with an economist uh, who lives in Ottawa and he often hires young people in Ottawa, he said that those numbers made perfect sense to him because um, it's a very competitive market for young people, the labor market in in, in Ottawa. There are a lot of uh, well-paying government jobs that tend to pay a pretty good salary right away from an entry-level uh, point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though housing is becoming more expensive, so far incomes are holding up pretty well in Ottawa. And uh, Calgary, I would say, takes the cake in terms of affordability. Um, it still has pretty strong incomes, but housing is quite affordable, both mm-hmm. for buying a home and for renting. It's interesting because in, in Toronto on the on the transit, there's lots of ads for Alberta, actually, advertising the fact that you can actually afford a house in that province. So this is a really interesting thing that it actually checks out based on your math there. Yes, absolutely. I I heard those ads on the radio and I was like, that that resonates. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We also did an informal poll on Twitter, Erica, and we asked, how many years did it take you to get financially set up for adulthood? Um, And if you're still working on it, how long do you anticipate it actually taking? 44% said it would take 10 years or more than 10 years to get set up, which seems like a long time. Uh, What have you learned about how people make that phase, that in-between phase work for them? So people are um, getting roommates. Mm. The census showed that uh, 15% of people in their 20s and early 30s were living uh, with roommates, and it was the the highest growing living uh, arrangement for for that age range. And I uh, spoke with uh, a teacher who has a, a university degree and a master's degree, uh, who is now living in Halifax, and she's 34, and she just went back to um, having a roommate at 34, mm. which she says is a great move financially. She said, for the first time, I can save, and I'm not worried about bills, uh, but it's not where she thought she would be uh, at 34, and she did tell me like it feels like this launching phase is lasting forever. Um, And then I found, I spoke to a 69-year-old father in Ontario uh, who had his son and his uh, daughter-in-law, and they just had a a baby, and they'd been living with him uh, for three years, and they just moved out. And so that's an example of, um, you know, people living with with their parents, um, and he was extremely supportive, and that's one of the um, heartwarming surprises of, of reporting this story that I spoke to some older parents that absolutely get the issue and what's going on and how hard it is for young people to afford, um, you know, to live on their own. And they're absolutely supportive. And they're like, they can stay and work and save at home for as long as they need to. There's, they don't have to pay rent and there's no timeline. Mm. It's interesting. We heard we heard from people too that that said they're in this situation. Uh, Nomi wrote to us and and said that uh, they were afraid of quote never being able to move out of my childhood bedroom end quote. And and so it is it is nice you know for people that do have that option you know maybe not an ideal situation to live with your parents but it is an option. What about people who who maybe don't have have that Erica or they don't get an inheritance or they don't have 
parents, family members that they can move in with, what what can they do? So that's one of the most serious issues um, that uh, my reporting sort of um, highlighted is these high rents are an added pressure on top of student loans for lower income students. And the pressure is to for these students to get the jobs that pay the bills. And a lot of the time, um, the risk is that, you know, say someone who, again, who's been waiting tables since they're, you know, uh, they were a teenager. By the time, say, they're they're done with their, their undergrad, they have quite a bit of experience. They can easily get a, you know, a well-paying waiting job, you know, in, in, in a high-end restaurant or, or what have you. And that job will pay the bills that they have. And the entry-level jobs that they can get in their own field will not. And, and then you have this tremendous pressure to keep... That, those higher paying jobs in in retail or, or you know in in a, in a restaurant or whatever where you've done you know you've you've advanced a little bit and not get those lower paying jobs you know that would open the door to a career that would in the long run get you to you know a much higher earnings this is actually a really important point because if you are if you're a younger person who has financial stability either because your family can support that or you can get you know help in other ways then you can actually get into that career maybe or e- more easily get into that career that eventually would get you that high paying job whereas if you don't that might be a lot more difficult yeah and this this has been an issue um you know some economists call it wage scarring um it's been an issue that that people have highlighted when it comes to student debt uh for for a very long time but now these housing costs especially high rents add to that pressure and there's also the question of who gets to have you know high paying professional jobs in big cities is it just the 20 year olds who can be bankrolled by their family, who can afford to have these jobs, and everyone else has to move out. Because yes, you know, we have hybrid work, we have remote work, but there's probably still, you know, opportunities that are tied to, you know, big city jobs where you have to be in person, where you have to be networking in person. And are those opportunities now increasingly going only to the kids who can be um, kept afloat financially? for a number of years by their families. Yeah. Erica, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and and help explain this. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.